Well, good evening and thanks for tuning in on this December the 14th and welcome to a special edition, our look back at the year that was 2022, a year that brought so much, a geopolitical altering invasion, a spike in inflation, a political deal to keep the minority liberals secure, a change at the top of the official federal opposition, a papal apology, the death of a queen, the arrival of Omicron and the crisis in our healthcare system and much more. But let's begin with a series of events that quite literally rolled across the country and altered Canada's political and social landscape last winter. It began as a convoy making its way across Canada, headed to Ottawa, ostensibly to call for an end to vaccine mandates, specifically for truckers. Drop the mandates across the board for every single man, woman, and child across Canada. We've dealt with this for two years. You said two weeks to flatten the curve. We're two years later. It turned out it would be much, much more. Soon there would be blockades at border crossings, including in Coots, Alberta, and at the Vital Ambassador Bridge connecting Windsor and Detroit. And of course, the blockade, the weeks-long blockade in front of Parliament in Ottawa that attracted attention from right around the world. It also led to a very successful fundraising campaign that saw millions of donations pour in. Control, it seemed, was being lost. At least the federal government felt that way. Here is the Prime Minister on February the 11th. The illegal blockades are hurting Canadians, whether they're in Ottawa, Windsor, Coots, or Emerson. They're endangering jobs. They're threats to our economy and to public safety. He asked people to simply go home that day. That did not work. In fact, just three days later, on Valentine's Day, the 14th, the government would open a Pandora's box of chocolates, invoking the Emergencies Act for the first time ever, giving the government temporary powers to handle the ongoing blockades and protests. With more on all of this now, I'm joined by someone who spoke to us often over the course of the past year, specifically during the blockades in Ottawa, Stephanie Carvin, an associate professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in the nation's capital. Stephanie, thank you so much. Welcome to our year in review. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Thinking back to February, uh, it it seems, or thinking back to the winter, it seems remarkable watching that convoy roll across the country, uh, not realizing what was about to happen, the anticipation of it. But from a security standpoint, it really turned into something uh, fairly unexpected to some extent. Um, Yeah, I would actually argue it was pretty unexpected. I mean, it was quite clear that it was building in the weeks up to this, right? I mean, in, in the weeks up to the actual arrival of the trucks um you know researchers online um you know a lot of the people who were involved had been involved in um you know not necessarily far-right extremism but anti-vax um or anti-vaccine rallies they were against public health measures um some of them had definitely been flirting with like the far right and and conspiracy theories for some time um but by and large um you know, prior attempts at organizing convoys had not been particularly successful. and There had actually been a number of attempts. So, you know, the idea that this would turn, I think, into what it eventually became was, was probably far-fetched up until about 
um, I would say maybe a week and a half before it happens. Really around January 18th, we saw the, the movement really spring to life, I think largely driven by this GoFundMe that kind of became a symbol I think an online rallying point for for uh, the anti-vax movement in Canada and then subsequently internationally. And as this uh, GoFundMe was getting more and more money, more and more people were finding out about it, paying attention, and and sought to join in. Right. So I think that's how this gained momentum pretty quickly. Now that being said, uh, these guys were always very honest about what they wanted to do. Like they didn't lie. They said we're going to go to Ottawa and we're going to sit there and we're gonna, not going to leave until. Uh, all the mandates are lifted, right? Um, but, you know, in some cases, the goals were a little bit more serious, right? Some of the organizers um, had brought about some manifesto that said that they wanted to replace the government with a self-appointed committee in, in, in accordance with the governor general and the Senate, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, so there was a, a, a number of goals, but they always said that, look, we're going to sit here and we're not going to leave. And why that wasn't taken seriously, I don't particularly know. Yeah, I, th- I think that was what was most jarring about it when you look back is that this is our nation's capital. And yet it was, you know, it was laid siege to to some extent. That's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but it was laid siege to by a not huge number of people. Uh, and it was sort of the vulnerabilities of the capital and other places, for that matter, that became so striking, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I've talked to some diplomats here in Ottawa and they've they've expressed a lot of uh, shock and surprise as to what happened and the fact that, you know, the neither the municipal or provincial government was able to deal with it, requiring a level of federal involvement here to unprecedented uh, in resolving the crisis. Right. So um, but once the movement effectively had gotten locked in in Ottawa and then subsequently at other border points and other cities, um, it, they became very, very hard to move. And we know subsequently from uh, the commission, which was held. Uh, between October to to November of this year, that there was concern about guns, about weapons, about children being around, and the you know that any attempt to move it could could in fact be quite dangerous. When we look at it in retrospect, it's quite easy. But at the time, I remember it being. I mean, the idea that somehow this convoy couldn't be moved was surprising to some extent. I mean, it was surprising to see the forces of order so ineffective. In the face of this, it really was. Yeah, it was like the forces of disorder, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, what we've learned about the Ottawa police, I mean, I don't know to the extent that you're, that people are paying attention out in um, uh, on the West Coast, but I mean, the Ottawa police was basically at war with itself. I mean, one of the former city councillors here in Ottawa described it as a kind of insurgency, right? Um, and, and like, there's no good guys and bad guys. It just seemed like everyone was self-interested. No one was thinking of the common good. No one could come up with a plan. Uh, no one trusted one another, right? Um, and I think it really does speak to serious issues with regards to federalism in this country. Um, the fact that the provincial, the municipal, and the um, federal do not work very well. And we've kind of had some hints of this. I mean, if people will think back to the October 2014 attacks on Parliament Hill, um, and there seems to be problems with jurisdiction, right? Um, that, you know, who was responsible? Was it the RCMP? Was it the Parliamentary Protection Service? Was it the Ottawa Police? Um, you know, was it national security agencies? Who's, who was in charge of that particular investigation and responding to that incident? And as a result, of, but we never really did an investigation uh, after that happened, even though we had kind of had glimpses of some of the confusion behind the scenes. And I, I always wonder 
you know, in retrospect, if we had spent more time thinking about, you know, like, okay, like, or at least maybe doing some kind of public inquiry into what happened in October 2014, would we still have had the same problems that we had in January 2022? Like, is this, you know, is is Canada's unwillingness to kind of take a hard look at some of these um, federal jurisdictional issues uh, really kind of, of, of hurting us in the long run? Yeah, it felt like the convoy kind of drove right into an Achilles heel that we probably already knew we had and that they didn't know. I mean, you're right. There was no, this was completely telegraphed. Some of the border blockades clearly weren't, but, uh, you know, the convoy coming to Ottawa was clearly telegraphed. They said they were coming. They videotaped, they taped themselves coming. They talked about it. Then they showed up and we couldn't get, they, they couldn't be moved. Themselves. Yeah. I mean, like, to be clear, like, they, you know, they, we, they called themselves the Freedom Convoy, but the name of right. the, uh, mission was called Operation Bear Hug. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that doesn't leave much. You know, it doesn't leave much to the imagination, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be a super sleuth to have figured out what was about to happen. And so it, it was very frustrating, um, you know, trying to, you know, talk about this online. And then to hear, you know, the Ottawa police saying, oh, we had no idea. We, you know, we weren't aware at all. And then, you know, the fact that we now know that the Ontario Provincial Police was providing the Ottawa police some really good assessments as to what was about to happen that the Ottawa police just seem unable to have been able to absorb, to have understood, to have incorporated into their own assessments. I mean, this speaks to all these issues about just the kind of complete and utter dysfunction between the provinces, municipalities, and the and the federal government. That's just, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to resolve. After discussions with cabinet and caucus, after consultations with the premiers of all provinces and territories, after uh, conversation with opposition leaders, we decided to invoke uh, the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. The Prime Minister there on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, taking out the biggest tool in the government's toolbox, the Emergencies Act, to deal with the ongoing blockades. Um, Stephanie Carvin's with us. She is an associate professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. A lot of people in the uh, in your realm knew exactly what the Emergencies Act was and is, but I imagine the rest of us, many of us, had to go looking it up. Um, it was a big hammer to pull out, given the circumstances. It was. I mean, it, like a lot of people have compared it to the War Measures Act. It's actually a much smaller hammer than the War Measures Act used yes, by, of yes. course, Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, right? It, it, it actually is much more circumscribed, and it forces the government to comply with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms at all times. So, I mean, this is, this is uh, some important differences. But, yeah, it was basically brought in by the Mulroney government in the 80s, you know, having reflected on what happened during the FLQ crisis and, you know, acknowledging that we needed to modernize our emergencies legislation. But even today, I think we've discovered that it's kind of out of date, right? Um, that it's not necessarily reflective of the different kinds of emergencies that can pop up um, um, in, in Canada, right? So, um yeah, I mean, it was honestly a bit of a surprise when it happened. I, I, I you know, looking back now, it, it, I'm kind of used to it. But I remember at the time being like, uh, I kind of against it, thinking that, you know, at the end of the day, this this really should have been a provincial matter, right? The in, in the case of natural disasters and most emergencies, we go to the provinces. Each province has its own emergencies legislation, just like the federal government. And uh, for some reason, 
Doug Ford, probably because he was looking down in his calendar and seeing a couple of months he had an election down the road, just did not want to be any part of this. Um, and we found out during the commission hearings that he just didn't show up to meetings, didn't want to, you know, really be involved at all. Yeah. And, you know, as, as Ottawa is kind of in going through these, 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 these problems, he's off skidooing with his family or, uh, you know, uh, making videos about, like, it's, it's a free fishing weekend that people can go ice fishing. <laughs> it's surreal. It was, no, it, so, it was, I mean, I mean um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. The, the, My rant yeah, no, on not at all. Is, is no, not at all. No. Uh, clearly, that you know, the federal government were left holding the bag here. It just some of the implications of what happened once it was invoked, you know, the freezing of the bank accounts and so on, uh, it did it did raise some serious questions about what was needed to end these blockades and what was a, what was an appropriate uh, form of action. And I think even after the inquiry where we learned so much about what was going on, I think that question still hangs out there. It absolutely does. I mean, the problem with the emergency, one of the problems with the emergencies act is that it always assumes that people would do their job. So what happens when, when, when people don't do their jobs, whether it's the municipal police or the province is just not interested what what is supposed to happen in those circumstances? Are you just supposed to kind of leave uh, everything kind of hanging in the wind? And so it wasn't clear to me that um, you know that I think I think the federal government just felt that like no matter what happens, we're going to be left hanging with this. But yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of concerns. I mean, the powers that it grants the government are pretty serious. Um, the financial ones were were there, but I mean, I I had always kind of advocated. A more of a regulatory approach like the Ontario Highways Act applies not just to highway but to every single road in the city like why wasn't that being used um you know some of the financial powers of the government can be used and I mean I always felt that those would be better options you know using the licensing power of of the province um in in what I was calling the Al Capone approach right you can't get them on all of the the mob hits or whatever but you can get them on his taxes so I was kind of like you know get these guys you know, uh, if Ottawa excels at anything, it is regulating the hell out of stuff. So it's yeah. like, why aren't we harnessing our administrative law superpowers in order to deal with this crisis? But um, that that was so. So in this sense, I, I think people are starting to you know look at this legislation, have questions: was this the best response uh, going forward? And either way, whatever happens, and we are expecting a report from the commission in February, uh, February 14th. So Valentine's Day, everyone. Yes, one year from, exactly. Yeah, and read the report. Um, I think what what we can hear, you know, regardless of what happens, we absolutely need to modernize this legislation and have some serious discussions about, you know, how we want our different levels of government to respond to crises in the future. And just quickly, the, um, the lasting implications, security implications of this particular convoy. I mean, you know, when we look back in a year or so, we'll have to have made changes to not allow this to happen again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't I mean, it would be really unfortunate if no changes are made. I think one of the key challenges are, though, is that um, a lot of the challenges are going to have to rely with the province and the municipalities, and there's only so much that the federal government can do. I mean, we have this problem in the country where, you know, when something goes wrong, we tend to look at the federal government, but in reality, it's often the municipal and and provincial government's jurisdictions, right? Um, And so, you know, hopefully there'll be some kind of reform, but um, I think people are are also eager to kind of turn a page and move on. And I do worry that we're going to have the same problem we had in 2014, that we're going to kind of ignore some of these underlying issues. And rather than deal with them, that we're just going to try and pretend 
that everything's better now that we were able to invoke the Emergencies Act. So um, with regards to our national security legislation, absolutely. With regards to, uh, you know, we haven't even touched on the RCMP's role here. Um, there's so much that we could talk about, but um, I'm really looking forward to this report. And in 2023, maybe you'll have me on and we can we can talk about some of the recommendations. I'm sure we will. Stephanie Carvin, as always, thank you so much. Thank you.